Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Bree. And today we have a very special guest with us. Today we have author Anne McIntosh. We're so happy to have you on the show with us today. Please tell us how your 2022 has been so far. I mean, it's it's been okay. It's uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Let's let's get the niceties out of the way. Um, <laughs> thank you for being uh, here. Yes, <laughs> you're more than welcome. It's it's had its ups and downs. I mean, the last few years, I think everybody has had ups and downs. Um, this year, I've had a few health issues that I've de- I've been dealing with, but nothing serious, so I can't complain too much. Um, and I've had a lot of really great things too, like I got to go back to Jamaica for a visit in April. And um, okay, don't laugh. This past weekend was the 40th anniversary of my graduation from high school, and we had a reunion, and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, you can't see. I'm one of those people. You can't tell me. You can't start with "Don't laugh" because I already start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, That's, I mean, it was, it yeah. was, some of those women I haven't seen literally since we left school. So it, yeah. it was, it was amazing. It was really fun. Oh, that's great. That's great. My, my 20th is coming up this month. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, I'm actually looking forward to it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, why not? You, you sort of get a chance to, um, to look back, but without all the angst that came with actually being in school. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yes. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, are you ready to get into some icebreakers with us? Sure. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Um, probably something like don't push because I'm like the, the most easygoing person in the world. But once you push me past a certain point, I either explode into this demon spawn from Hades or or I just shut down completely and walk away. You know? so, and, then, and then I'm not looking back. I'm gone. So I think I think that's that would be my major warning label for anybody getting involved with me. What's one thing you find yourself nostalgic for? You mean besides my youth? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think I I really feel nostalgic for um, sort of the relaxed way that we used to live in Jamaica. The the four day weekends. I mean, you still you're still working Thursday and Friday, but you're partying, you're at the beach, you're hanging out with friends. I feel a lot of nostalgia towards that kind of thing. Friends that have because we're scattered all over the world now, you don't see them very often. I, I think that's that's my major point of nostalgia at this stage in yeah. my life. Well, we read on your website that you were born in Jamaica before moving to Ontario, Canada. Uh, share with us some of the initial culture shock you experienced. <laughs> you mean besides the, the, the big one, the, the, the whole the cold. winter thing? The cold, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first winter that I, I lived in London, Ontario, and the first winter I remember standing at the bus stop. The snow is blowing sideways. It's almost to the tops of my boots, and I had on, like, um, calf-length boots, and I have on, like... As I said to my sister, when she asked me how I was doing, I said, I have on enough clothes for five people, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, whose bleeping idea was this, <laughs> you know, to come to this place? This is not human, you know, <laughs> oh, the humanity. No, I, um, that was, I think the, the major one, because I, I didn't leave Jamaica until I was in my thirties and I traveled a bit before that. So 
I kind of had an idea of what I was going into. So okay. yeah, the, 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 the winter thing was the major one. The major wow. one. I always yeah. tell people, as far as I'm concerned, I should be in a glass with rum on it, not under your feet. <laughs> that was something I just never got used to walking on the ice. Thank yeah. God for yak tracks. <laughs> but, um, you know, I guess as a writer, you, you kind of have the feeling that people are the same wherever you go. It's just um, you have to recognize the fact that uh, things that would be upsetting to you in your old setting might not have the same impact in your new setting. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I first got to Canada, I was working in a restaurant and, and a gentleman called out, um, hey, gal, come here. And in Jamaica, you don't, you know, you can say that jokingly to your friends, but that's not something that you, you call out to somebody that you don't know. And then I realized he didn't mean anything by it. That was just his his way of saying, you know, hey, waitress, come here, kind of thing. So yeah. little things like that, you know, yeah, I had to kind of wrap my head around. But I, I love Canada. I, I thought, I felt at home there in a weird way, except in winter. If, yeah. if, I, was a, <laughs> if I was a full-time writer then, I would have been so happy because I would have just sat at home and looked at the beautiful snow falling outside and not gone anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, it was not like that. What's one of the first songs on the soundtrack to your life? You know, this was a really hard one because I grew up in a house where the radio was on all the time. Um, My dad liked music. I grew up listening to a lot of the stuff that he liked. So like, you know, old big bands and um, Fausto Popetti. And, you know, I can see people Googling that now. Who? What? (laughs) (laughs) I think a song that always stands out to me, that always takes me right back to that moment in time was um, Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty. And I'll tell you exactly why. My grandmother lived out in the middle of nowhere in the country. And when we would go down there, we'd take our transistor radio because the air was so clear, we could actually pick up WGBS out of Boston. And I remember hearing that song for the first time. My brother, my sister, myself, huddled over the radio with the volume up as high as it could go, listening to that song for the first time. And I just fell in love with it. So I think I think that would be one of the, the very first sort of seminal songs in my life. I couldn't have been more than about 12 years old at the time. What a fun memory that, you know, doesn't doesn't happen anymore. Now you, you text a link to your friend, you know, with the, with the exactly. song you like, you know, you're checking out in your own time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, we love to hear romance origin stories. So can you share with us how you became a romance reader? You can blame my mother. She she was a voracious reader from she was a child. Um, she actually had an argument with her father when she left school because he wanted her to be a doctor and she refused. She wanted to be a nurse. And so she literally sat at home in the country and the trader would come by with his cart, mule cart, and bring her books and she sat at home and read for an entire year until he gave in and <laughs> he sent her I to she went to she went to England to study nursing because they didn't have any you know good nursing schools in Jamaica at the time so when she was over there apparently she made the acquaintance of Mr. Mills and Mr. Boone <laughs> and 
from then on, I grew up every week, my dad would give her house money and we would go to the supermarket. And before she even picked up one thing to put in the trolley, she stopped at the book rack and picked out her two mills and booms for the day, for the, the week and put them in the cart. And then she would figure out what else she could afford to buy from there. <laughs> Books Priority. first, grocery right. second, Book. right? Exactly, exactly. Go, go pick a mango off the tree and eat that if you're hungry <laughs> while I sit here reading my book. <laughs> but so, I mean, she had thousands of them, literally. When I was packing up their house, they, we lived in the same house for 27 years. And when I was packing that up when she, when she was ill, I took six huge boxes of mills and booms down to the, the public library and left them there for them because, I mean, she was moving into a small apartment. She couldn't take all of them with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were always there. And I didn't always read romance. I, I like to read widely and I always have. So eventually, you know, you run out of things to read, can't afford to buy another book for, you know, what, however long, or you can't get down to the library and I'd go and start reading her Mills and Booms. When my grandmother found out, she was horrified because as far as she was concerned, that was not proper for a young girl to be reading. Mm-hmm. And her her idea of better reading was to bring me Barbara Cartlands. I mean, come on now. <laughs> not Dame Barbara. Oh, yes. It's I, the same thing. I, I l- 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 love you, you know. <laughs> So, yeah, that, I mean, it's kind of hard not to get into it when you're surrounded by people like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where I started. Has writing always been a passion of yours? I'm not sure. Um, I think it's always been something that I've been I've been pretty good at, even as a, a, a young child in school. That was one of the things that, I, that came fairly easily to me, writing stories and that. Um, I tell people that I probably was destined to do this. I, I used to watch old movies in Jamaica at the time. There was one television station, black and white, and on a Sunday evening, they would have a, a, a movie. And of course, they could only afford movies from like the 40s and 50s. I remember one night, one afternoon, sitting there watching this movie, and I was really into it. And it was a, a privateer and a French noblewoman in the Caribbean, and there was all this daring do and adventure and all of this stuff. And then at the end, jumps on his ship and he sails away, leaving her behind. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely horrified by that. I thought, <laughs> no, that's not right. Right. <laughs> so I started rewriting the whole movie. And the joke of the thing was I was fine with the entire movie until I got to the end. I was part of that whole Wild Wild West small press publishing wave back in the in the early 2000s. So I was with um, Sammy, Saw One, if you want to call it that, um, and Elora's Cave. So... And I actually had a spice brief with Harlequin, I guess, mm, 2009, maybe, somewhere around. Yeah. So under under my, my pen name, Anya Richards. Okay. Which- I'm like, well, where were these books on Fiction Database? You were writing under a different name. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, and I'm hoping to to recover her because... I have all of these books that I've gotten back the rights to and I've just not done anything with them. And I think it's a bit of a shame to just have them moldering away 
but yeah, so, but the, the Harley Quinn thing, <laughs> um, Amy Rattan got him with Harley <laughs> Medicals and she and I were critique partners for years and I held her hand through the whole process and, you know, the whole rah-rah, you can do it, you can do it. And uh, <laughs> so she gets in and things are going along and she said to me, oh, they're having... And I can't remember if it was a So You Think You Can Write or, um, you know, one of the, the special pitch mm-hmm. uh, dealios that, that they, the Lions do occasionally. And she said to me, you should do it. They want they want more diverse characters and more diverse authors. And, you know, it, you should you should try it. And um, I was actually at a really crappy point in life at that, at that you know, just then. Um I had lost my my brother and my father not long before, and my first marriage was <laughs> was already on thin ice, you know. But I thought to myself, well, if you're gonna do it, just you know, just do it. What the heck? Things can't get much worse than this anyway. So mm-hmm. I I you know submitted. What did they want? They it was I think it was a pitch one because I pitched it and then I had to do like the first three chapters and a synopsis to send in and um, <laughs> I said to my my then husband, I said, listen, I know things are weird between us right now, but let's just put everything on hold for a couple of weeks and let me get this stuff, this done. It could be something really good, you know, for the future, whatever. And um, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> the whole, you know, the whole situation just blew up, but I somehow powered through and sent it off because I thought, well, at least if I if I can get into Harlequin, this is something good going forward. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's yeah. A bright spot. So, yeah. and they really do kind of put you through the ringer when you first sell stuff. So I, I finished, I, they asked for the full, I did the full over, I don't remember how long it took me, but it took a while. Got that sent off. And then all the different rounds of editing that they, they asked you to do. I think they're testing you to see if you can follow directions, see how difficult you are to work with, mm-hmm. you know, all of that sort of stuff. And of course, Amy is like in the background going, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, serving the same role for me that I served for her, you know, yeah. the handholding and the, and the sobbing, you know, emails and all of that stuff. So, and it was funny because I had gone out and it was early December. It was a friend's birthday. And I went out, had a whale of a time, drank way too much, enjoyed myself thoroughly, woke up the next morning with a hangover. And then I get an email saying, oh, hi, Anne, this is Nate. Can you, you know, can you have a conversation on the phone? Are you okay to talk? And, and I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell her no, right? <laughs> hangover or not. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, I don't know if it's excitement or it was the hangover, but I remember nothing about that call except her saying that she wanted to acquire the book. (laughs) That's all that matters. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. That's the best. That is. I was really hungover. So all I remember is they wanted the book. Yep. And that's all I needed to hear. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. What have been some of the interesting rabbit holes that you found yourself in while researching for medical romance? Well, um, 
<clears throat> well, the medical side of it, I, I actually love research. When I first started writing, I, I, I was doing a lot of historicals and stuff. So I'm used to research and I really enjoy it. But yes, I do have a tendency to fall down, down these rabbit holes. Um, settings. I can spend days just going through people's travel logs and, you know, travelocity or, you know, where whatever I can find, you know, you get to link number 2,550 of, uh, <laughs> you know, in Google and I'm still clicking, you know. But the, the medical side of it, I have to sometimes really, in Jamaica we'd say put myself on the manners, um, you know, just say to myself, okay, now that's enough. Because although we have to put a lot of medical action into our books, they, the romance has to take center stage. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be careful that you don't overshadow the emotional storyline with all of these medical details <laughs> that yeah. people like me have accumulated. So like the, um, oh gosh, what's the name of that book? Um, Awakened by the Brooding Brazilian. She was... Uh, specialist in facial reconstruction and I must have I have a folder for each of my books on my search engine and I must have 50 or more links on there because once I started researching it it was like oh yeah so they do this part first and then they have to do this other thing or you know depending on what the injury is you, you know and I just went absolutely crazy and the nice thing about that was that I was able to put together a major scene where the two surgeons were working together on a, on a specific case and sort of pull bits and pieces from all of that research to put into that scene. And it felt very, um, I felt very accomplished at the end of it because I, I don't have a medical background. Um, I just have an intensely curious mind and a head full of useless trivia that, you know, <laughs> I will constantly be trying to use to, yeah. you know, to, to bulk up my stories. So, but yeah, the medical, the medical stuff, you can, and that's not even a rabbit hole. That's a, that's a whole damn warrant. Mm. You, know? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you just, and as I said, I sometimes have to just say to myself, okay, I'm pretty sure you have enough for maybe five books, <laughs> you know, yeah. what you <laughs> what you gleaned from your searches. So. Well, you now have 12 medical titles published. And according to what we could see, we should be getting another release from you this December. What are you enjoying about writing romances with medical professionals? Like we were, we were chatting and, I was telling Aaron, I was like, there's something about the medicals that just feels very specific. I don't know. Like it's, it, it's its own subgenre, And I just think there's something really special about it. So having 12 titles now under your belt, like what are you enjoying writing in that world? Um, one of the, one of the reasons why I only write for medicals and haven't tried to break out into any of the other lines is that for me personally, it's the one line that gives me leeway to do certain things. Uh, my characters can be any age, you know? So I've had young characters. I have, I think, three books where they're in their 40s and 50s. Um, 
they have a certain amount of maturity, even the younger ones, because they've been through medical school or they've been through nursing school. If you know, they've sort of had their feet held to the fire, and that gives to me that gives me experiences that can be drawn from when I'm creating the characters. And almost most important is I can set them anywhere. You know, yeah. Um, they don't have to be super rich. They don't have to be um, in a city. They can be, you know, out in the bush doing research. They can, you, you understand what I'm saying? It gives me more scope when it comes to creating the characters and also deciding on a setting. A lot of the other lines are a little bit more restrictive in certain ways. Not that it's a bad thing. I mean, they're obviously giving people what they want, right? So, you know, your billionaires and your princes and stuff, we still do that in the medical line, but we're not tied to it, yeah. um, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. 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 So I think that's, that's, and I write spicy. So like Love Inspired is, is one, not Love Inspired, um, oh darn. It's it's modern in in England in Mills and Bones and it uh, is it's just romance. Is it just romance? Oh yeah, okay. True love and romance. Yeah, they have mm-hmm. more of a more of a closed door um, kind mm-hmm. of setting for for their books. So while they have a lot of the same freedoms that the medicals offers, um, I don't know that I'm at the stage that I want to to start writing closed door romances. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I started off writing erotic romance. I think I've <laughs> I've told myself down as much as I'm going to yeah. at this stage. <laughs> well, that is one of the things that's changed about romance, true love, is that they can write it now, but it's up to the author. It's up to the author. Oh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So there you go. I might have to look into that. (laughs) We wouldn't mind if you did, you know. (laughs) We'll read it if it has your name on it. So, oh, awesome! Thank you. That is, I I knew that, but hearing you say that, yeah, as medical, you can you can write set your stories wherever. I mean, there's hospitals and medical situations all over the world. I think people don't think that. When they see medical, they just think hospital. And you're not focusing on the fact that it could be a hospital literally anywhere. Yeah. And I mean, they think Grey's Anatomy, so everybody's working, you know, everybody wants to be the star of the the hospital or whatever. Um, But yeah, I mean, the, oh gosh, it's so funny because you, you, you write the books and then you, you know, you move on and you keep forgetting the names of them and you feel so bad because... It's your own work, but um, how to heal the surgeon's heart? Uh, I did that one with Annie Clayton. It was a, a duet, and we were in the middle of the pandemic when we came up with that idea of a rally around England to promote um, the work that transplant teams do. So most of it, not all of it, there's a the, in my book, which is the first one in of the two. We start out in the hospital with a particular case where my hero and heroine are working together on a on a case. And then it goes on the road and there's the rally. And my book ends midway through the rally and Annie's picks up from there. So the first part of her book is the rally and then her hero and heroine are working a case together. So when you think of it as, yes, it's still a medical and yes, there's the medical um, action and all of that in it, 
but you're 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 not stuck in a hospital for the whole book. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. We've had people writing them on cruise ships. Um, I have a couple of books set in a fictional Caribbean island where most of it is outside of the hospital. You know, mm-hmm. because that's what that whole middle part you have. Yes, you have the medical aspect to it, but you always have to be developing the re- the relationship, right? Right. And as much as you want to think of doctors sneaking off in the hospital to 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 snob, it's not happening that way, right? You're not <laughs> building a connection doing that. They have to they have to be outside of the hospital and kind of learning about each other on a personal level. So yeah. Yeah, if I could tell anybody who is reluctant to read a medical anything, it would be, yes, it's a doctor or a paramedic or a nurse or, you know, whatever, firefighter, vet, but mm-hmm. it's not all, and then they had to go into surgery and, yeah. You know. <laughs> well, congratulations on your newest release, One Night Fling in Positano. Can you share with our listeners what the book is about? Um, This one's actually... A sexy read, if I might say so myself. Kendra Johnson, the heroine, is a woman of color from Canada. She's had a difficult past. And she travels the world because she never had... Well, after she was 10 years old and her dad died, she didn't have like a stable home. And so having that kind of stability was never anything that was that important to her as she got older. She felt more comfortable just moving around, staying for a few months somewhere or a year or whatever, and then moving on again. Whereas the hero is the complete opposite. He is tied hand, foot, heart, and soul to the Amalfi Coast and his family's land there and the the whole region. And so you have that built-in tension of, a woman who is not interested in staying in one place with a man who is completely stable and, you know, solid where he is and probably cannot, cannot move, at least not during the time that they're, that they're having their, their affair or however you want to look at it. Yeah, um, I enjoyed writing this one. I really did. I liked her. I liked him. You know, I'd go out and I'd drink some drink a bottle of wine with them anytime. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is a very sexy read. So you were right about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that's really cool about the book that we have to point out because I feel like amongst us as readers, and I've even seen authors have this discussion of is like how do we talk about the pandemic do we talk about the pandemic do we not talk about the pandemic there are readers that are like it's real put it in there and then there are readers that are like we don't want to see it it's you know but I just think at this point it's life right like who knows how much longer we're going to be living like this so what inspired the choice to acknowledge this very real reality in the book because you do put it in there and I love how you did it you mention it and then you kind of just move on. But it, it it's just, I thought it was important that you acknowledged, hey, this is the world we've been living in. I found it difficult during the pandemic, to be honest with you, because we weren't told not to write about the, the pandemic, but it was generally thought that readers wouldn't want, during those early times anyway, to hear too much about the pandemic. Um, I had one book that I sort of floated to my editor 
And she said, nah, I, I don't think that would be a wise way to go. And it was a, um, what do you call those? There's a trope where they're trapped together, <laughs> in a, you know, in one spot. Mm-hmm. Um, like forced proximity? Yes, that's it. Thank you. Um, and my editor said, I, I don't think this is the time for that book. But when I was writing this one, I thought we had kind of gotten to a stage where not mentioning it is sort of like revisionist history. Um, yeah. And it, it just felt right to sort of say, okay, that was the reality. And now we have moved on to a different reality. Um, and it, in a way, it was also kind of a hopeful thing for me. Because at the time, we were still under a lot of travel restrictions and, and, you know, all of that. But at the same time, I felt like we could possibly very soon be seeing, like, a, a, the recovery of tourism and traveling and that. So when I was writing it, I, I, that was sort of a, a hopeful gesture on my part to, to put it in, as you said, as, you know, she was trapped for 18 months somewhere and then she she was able to now move on to Italy which she had planned to do before the pandemic struck. Well thank you for mentally transporting us to the Amalfi Coast which you mentioned Mm -hmm. in your dear reader is high on your list of places to visit. What about this location makes it a dream destination for you? Listen I was born on an island. I love the sea. I when I look at pictures of the Amalfi Coast it just speaks to me. It's, you know, that juxtaposition of the cliffs and the water and, you know, just... And, of course, Italy is, like, terribly romantic. Just just the name, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and so, sure, I want to see Rome and Florence and Venice and... Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll go and, and trek through Vatican City and all of that. But Amalfi Coast, for some reason... The first time I heard the name years ago, I was like, oh, what's that? And show you how long ago that was. I had to look it up in the in the encyclopedia. Oh, <laughs> <You> gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but no, it just, it just seems like one of those places where, I'm, and I'm fairly lazy. You know what I mean? As a, as a traveler, I like my downtime. I don't like to be like zooming around trying to fit 10 countries into seven days. Mm-hmm. I just think that that would be the place to just sit there, enjoy some delicious food, just looking out at the, at the coastline. So yeah, I, I, I just, yeah. Somebody buy me a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I follow a, um, a young, a, a woman on Instagram and, her and her partner went a couple of weeks ago and I was like, it looks even prettier on Instagram stories than it does on Google and Pinterest. I bet. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I I just, you know, there's, they're just places that you see a picture of them and you're like, I gotta go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that for me, for me is one of them. Well, like you mentioned, Kendra is a nurse who lives with one foot constantly out the door, and Massimo is proudly settled where he is. 
Tell us how their romance came to you. Was it you thinking of the Amalfi Coast or did one of them specifically come to you? I think, if I remember correctly, the, the Amalfi Coast came first. I, I decided it was time. I wanted to set something there and that was the first part. But then I started playing around with characters as any of my readers will tell you, I, I tend to write diverse characters, usually mixed race. It's, it's what I am. So it's sort of, I, I like to, to do that kind of thing. So Kendra came to me because I'm always very interested in the concept of found family in one respect, mm-hmm. and also the effects of not having a parent or not having parents. Jamaicans tend to to migrate away from the island a lot. Um, very often it's the women who leave and very often they have to leave their children behind because they cannot take them with them when they first leave. And we've all grown up seeing the effects that that can have on, on the children left behind. So that was one part of how one part of her character came into being. The second part was when I left, when I went to Canada, I too had this ridiculous notion that there were not very many Black Canadians, right? It you was mentioned like, that in the book. There's a character that says to Kendra, I didn't know Black people lived in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I knew there were because of course there, there are thousands of Jamaicans, if nothing else there. And I knew there must be Africans that had migrated to Canada, you know, but it was it was almost like I felt that they had all come from somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. And then I got involved with 18th century reenacting, which is, I mean, some of these guys are like dead serious about this stuff, right? You know, the clothing has to be done by hand and all of this this thing. And they don't even call it the American Revolution, which is what they, they reenact. They call it the Great Rebellion which I, I found hilarious, right? But, but in the course of that, I realized that there were a lot of um, uh, slaves in what is now America who fought on the side of the British. And at the end of that period of time, they were given their freedom and they were taken to Canada so that they would not be re-enslaved. And most of them settled in, on the eastern side of, the, of, the, of Canada. So that sort of played into it as well, because I thought, all right, let's let's sort of bring a little bit of a different um, viewpoint to people who might, who like me, (laughs) might have thought that, you know, every person of African descent that lives in Canada came from somewhere else, which, yes, they did way back when. But, um, you know, even the Underground Railroad, uh, the depot was in Chatham, so... I met one lady and I said to her, Gwen, where are you from? And she said, Chatham. <laughs> and I was like, well, okay then. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I, I was trying to find some sort of unusual bit of that useless trivia that I have in my head to, to disseminate in my books. So she was actually a little bit easier to work out initially. Massimo was a little harder because... Um, I knew what kind of what I wanted him to be, but I didn't know how, how I wanted him to have gotten there. And 
I know what it feels like to be sort of the family outsider. You know, you, you, you don't actually really fit in the way you'd like to or you mm-hmm. feel like you should. So, yeah, that's how he kind of came to be. It was a fun book to write, though. I really enjoyed it. Well, Did I ask the question? I have, I have like this really bad way of, of just <laughs> rambling on. You did. And you I did get fine. to the end and I'm you like, did. oh, okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and it's that's a podcast. Exactly right. That's what we yeah. need. <laughs> we, we love talking. Yeah. <laughs> So the location itself becomes a bit of a conflict for Kendra because she quickly realizes, unlike the many places she's traveled to, this one may not be that easy to leave. What did you enjoy exploring through Kendra's character? Again, I think the whole concept of having to, well, actually having to reevaluate who you are and what you want at different periods in your life. I don't think that's something that we talk about enough. We always talk about, oh, um, oh yeah, you're you're this person, you know, and we change as time goes by, and and we learn new things, and we welcome new people into our lives, and and try to figure out where we belong. And I think for her, that was always a problem. She didn't feel like she belonged anywhere. So if she didn't belong somewhere, why not just keep moving around? until she gets to the Amalfi Coast. And then, you know, things get serious. (laughs) Yes, they do. (laughs) Hot and serious. (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed. Well, let's get into our round out questions. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. What time of day do you prefer to write? I'm a night owl. Um, But I I live a different life now. You know, like we're just saying, you have to reevaluate things. So um, I... I now try to be a little bit more respectful of the couple time with my with my husband. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. but but I have been known to pull all nighters when that deadline is coming at me like a freight train and I'm nowhere near finished the book. So <laughs> <laughs> I say I swear I admire night owls. Like by ten o'clock, if if I make it till ten, I am just a slog like no good at all i am a five in the morning let's get the day started kind of person yeah, <laughs> but i would love to be a night owl i would so much <laughs> rather be a night owl listen i've been having insomnia the last um probably month and it has been horrific for me because not only am i not falling asleep when i go to bed but then i'm waking up anywhere between three thirty and five o'clock in the morning which Believe you me, you do not want to see me before like <laughs> nine, ten o'clock in the morning after I've had a few cups of tea and have just sat around like a sloth. So no, I'm the complete opposite <laughs> opposite of you. <laughs> I hate it, but I just when I was in the military, like my show time for work was easily like 4.45 in the morning. So I, I just yep. can't get my body to sleep in any later. But I just, I, my, my husband, he's easily like a two in the morning. I'm finally going to bed type of person. And I'm like, why can't I be like why? you? I feel like I'd get so much more done <laughs> if I was a night person. <laughs> I have a friend who gets up literally at four o'clock every morning. And she says she gets more done between four and eight than most people get done for the whole day. I'm like, you know, if I'm going, if I'm going to have insomnia, 
and I could wake up and be productive, I wouldn't feel so bad. But I'm useless. I'm absolutely useless. <laughs> well, are you a plotter or a pantser? I'm a I'm a plantser. Mm-hmm. Or a or a what would that what would the other one be? A, a plotser. <laughs> a plotser. <laughs> um, I started out when I first started writing back in the dark ages. I was definitely strictly a pantser. I mm-hmm. would sit down and just have at it. But what I realized after like 20 or 30 half finished books sitting around on my hard drive, I'm, I'm also one of those people who is like, ooh, shiny, you know? So I'm, I'm quite easily distracted when I, when I don't have something like a, an outline to follow. So I, I Becca Symes has a, a name for what I am, which is, I think she calls it a bread machine writer. I need to put a whole bunch of stuff into my head and just let it sit there and proof and, you know, turn away. And then I can sit down and write. Um, and of course, working with Harlequin now, I have to give them an outline. So I have to at least have an idea of where the book is going to go. So mm-hmm. as that, as, that's like as far as plotting goes for me. Brief outline. Okay. Oh, you like you like the way this sounds? Great. Of course, you know, the book that you get might not follow that outline, but hey, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're all happy. Well, what's one book you wish you could experience reading again for the first time? I couldn't choose I, I, between two. Um, you can the give Hobbit, us both. Yes. The Hobbit, definitely. Um, I read that as a very young age, bawled my eyes out when the dwarves that, sorry, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't <laughs> read The Hobbit. Um, but that was, that's one that sticks out. And then there's a book. I lost all of my books in Hurricane Gilbert in 1988. And I've searched for a copy of a book called Lady in Waiting. And it's the story of Sir Walter Raleigh and um, Bess Throgmorton, who was Queen Elizabeth I's uh, lady in waiting. And they got married without the Queen's consent. (laughs) And he actually got sent to the tower for it. Um, I think that book sort of ignited my love of um, historical fiction and historical romance. So mm-hmm. yeah, those are the two that kind of came to mind. Well, if you decided you wanted takeout for dinner tonight, where would you order from and what would be your order? Oh girl, I loves me some food. Can I tell you? So <laughs> oh, please do. Um, it would either be, again, couldn't choose. It would either be from a place called Hazel's here in Palm Bay. She does the most delicious Jamaican food, and it would be oxtail with rice and peas and steamed vegetable. And if you haven't had Jamaican-style oxtail stew, you all are missing out on so. Well, sorry, if you're a vegetarian, I can understand your, your hesitancy, <laughs> but otherwise, you got to try that stuff, man. Okay. Um, or, <laughs> or it would be Chinese food. I'm a big sucker for Chinese food. So it would be like Mongolian pork and Singapore, um, my fun, steamed dumplings. We have a really nice Chinese restaurant here in, in, in Melbourne. So yeah, that, one of those two, because oh, I had sushi I'm... last night. So, so I don't need to have sushi again, right? Now, <laughs> <laughs> now my stomach's rumbling. I'm sorry if that's coming through on the recording, everyone. <laughs> I know. <laughs> What's one of your favorite romance tropes to read? Second chance romances. 
uh, I'm a I'm a sucker for a second chance romance. I'm living my own second chance romance now. So I guess you know life imitating art or art imitating life, whichever way you want to look at it. But yeah, I love uh-huh. me some second second chance romance. Same. Oh, oh they're adorable. so good. Tell us one hill you will wholeheartedly die on. There are a lot of them, but um, the one that most strongly comes to mind is is, is diversity and inclusion. Um, love is love is love. I, I will I will defend that hill to the, the ends of the earth. You know, mm-hmm. definitely, absolutely. What is one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever received? Just let it go. Just move on. I'm a fixer. You know what I mean? If I see a problem, I, I'm I'm trying to think of some way to fix it. I'm trying to figure out how best to um, navigate through it and, and, and help people to get. To, and sometimes, you know, somebody has to look at me and say, yeah, I'll just, just let it go. Just move on. Forget about it. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and that's yeah. always the hardest advice for mm-hmm. me to take. Are you the oldest sibling? No, I'm the youngest. You're oh. the youngest. Interesting. I'm the oldest and I am definitely the fixer. Well, it, it's it's kind of funny because my brother and sister were only 16 months apart. And mm. then I am six years later. Okay. Surprise! Here I am. Yeah. So in a, in a weird way, I almost grew up like an only child. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I think mm-hmm. maybe... That might have something to do with it. I, I have no yeah. idea. I when I was I read one day about birth order and if there is a big age gap between kids, exactly like you said, it is almost like being an only child, being an only child, yeah. or being like a separate Starting family. Over. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Starting yeah. over, so you know, eldest, middle child, and then not really youngest, but sort of eldest again. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your writing career? Okay, no, this is this might be a little controversial because I've heard people say the exact opposite when asked okay. this kind of question. I would say to that younger self, stop trying to pigeonhole yourself. If the spaghetti method makes you happy, stick with the spaghetti method and write what you want to write. Don't try to you know, um, it's not even so much about writing to trend, but so many people say, oh, I wish I could have found my niche. I don't have a niche. I have so many different ideas and different subgenres or and even different genres altogether that I would like to be able to write. And I think I've, I feel like I've spent a lot of time just trying to write stuff that I feel the editor will accept rather than writing what I wanted to write back in those days. It's a little different now because I can work on different projects at a time, do my medicals and do whatever else I want. But I definitely would have preferred if somebody had said, you don't have to find a niche. You might never find a niche. Just keep being happy with what you're writing. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, is there anything you can share with us about what you have coming up next? Ah. I've been on a little bit of a hiatus the last couple of months um, because, as I said, I've been having this insomnia and a couple of different things going on. And um, I asked my editor if I could push out my my next deadline. And I hope she doesn't think I'm speaking out of turn, but what I've floated to her is 
a lesbian romance because again love is love is love and mm-hmm. oh I my wanted, gosh yes i wanted to, yeah. to try and see if i could if i could nudge them you know <laughs> so i floated um, one male male and i floated one lesbian and they liked the concept and have asked me to develop it a bit more so that's what's been on my plate and Keep your fingers crossed for me. I hope they like it. So, oh, it's so exciting. It. Yes. I know. <laughs> well, lastly, where can everyone keep up with you online? You know, I, I am like the worst social media person ever. But having said that, I am author Anne Macintosh on Facebook. I am author Anne Mac on Instagram. And I am author Macintosh.com. So usually... If Anne has not uh, fallen down on her on her housekeeping chores, you can usually see what's coming up next on on my on my um on my website. I usually try and keep it as up to date as possible. I'm just in the process of trying to revamp it, but it will the address will still be the same. But yeah, don't 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 look for me on Twitter. I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually I have a, an account, but I just found I'm very. I don't think it's empathetic. It might be that squirrel thing, you know, squirrel. But yeah. I could spend an entire day on Twitter and leave to go to bed so angry. True. <laughs> this like, is yeah. true. This is yeah. This is not good for you. <laughs> you you, you have, have to, to pop in and pop out. You have to pop in and pop oh. out very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I would just get sucked into you know, and I'm like, "What are you talking about? You can't say that." Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not a, a confrontational type of person, so I'm not. I don't even have the the benefit of being able to like slam out a, a really nasty reply, and you know, because I'm not that. I'm not that way. I, I'm more the, you know, oh, I'm just gonna get so angry. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Well. All of your information will be in the show notes for our listeners to find. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. We've been just so looking forward to talking to you. So thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. And thank you for the incredible read. We can't wait for what is coming up next from you. And our fingers are crossed. Okay. Our fingers are crossed for your idea. We hope that it goes through. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. You guys are awesome. Thank you. You'll have to come back. Just saying. You'll have to come Please back. Please come back. <laughs> anytime, anytime. If if they accept that book, I, I'll definitely be coming back because oh, you know, we will, oh, we will make sure. And screaming. <laughs> 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 well, listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We will have links to all the places you can keep up with the wonderful Anne McIntosh, as well as where you can get copies of her books. And Aaron and I will chat with you in our next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. Bye, Bye. everybody. Bye.